Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. October 17th, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, Market Call. Let's get right to the rundown, Dan. Get right into it because NVIDIA is absolutely fascinating today. Cascaded lower has bounced, still down on the day. We're looking at a NASDAQ trade ahead of earnings. And of course, yields, yields, yields continue to move higher despite all the geopolitical stuff where you would thought you'd see a flight to quality, meaning yields go down. That's not happening. How are you? I'm doing okay. You are powered by today, Guy Adami. And then you and I, before we just went on here, you were saying this market makes absolutely no sense. This morning, you know what? You had that headline about, okay, this this had kind of been little trial balloons floated here. You know, NVIDIA, you know, these advanced graphics chips, they're being banned for sale to China. We know that there had been lots of workarounds, uh, lots of sales in the gray markets, a lot of double, tripling ordering by a whole host of folks there. They were finding their way to China. There was also some tweaks to those chips, right? That kind of fell within, I guess you would call it, I don't know, semantics or whatever guy, right? Like a little, uh, you know, they were getting sold into there. So the Biden administration, they tightened it up a little bit here. The headline comes out, Stock opened down 5%. And you and I were talking this morning on the phone, and it dropped like 10 bucks like that, another 2%, like in a straight line. I was kind of, look at that beautiful little fact set chart there. What did that look like, guy, uh, up there? Yeah, a little well, bit it looks up. like a lot of things, but I'll keep it clean and say that looks like a bit of a head and shoulders formation. And a lot of people are pointing that out today. I've read some emails indicating exactly that. Yeah, well, our, our main man, Doug Cass, over there at Seabreeze, who also writes for Real Money, had a great note out yesterday, preemptively, on some of these issues um, with NVIDIA being a canary in the coal mine. Um, we are in that sort of camp in a way. And, you know, when it's going to take, and these guys will report off-cycle guy, so not until November, um, once we've seen all the reports from the OEMs and the semi-guys and, and, and all the cloud players and everything like that, then we're going to get NVIDIA's earnings and guidance. And I suspect that, again, we're seeing a sequential deceleration in the growth mm-hmm. that we've seen year over year. They've still been eye-popping. And maybe, just maybe, a lot of folks kind of believe that it's growing into a valuation, if you believe the 2024 estimates and the like here. But again, that technical pattern, you know, with a trillion-dollar-plus market cap. And so if you're seeing that sort of deceleration at some point, guy, I mean, the chickens have to come home to Ruth. You and I both think that there's probably a retest of that 200 day. If we do break that support, that neckline maybe fills in that that gap for May. 
That's exactly right. And I don't know if Stephen or Jacob can pull up a longer term chart and take us back to November of 2021 and or even a little earlier than that. But if you recall, I think at the time the stock was making an all time high around 330 or so. And you, and I don't know if we can highlight that, but you can you can basically yep. your eye can go there and see. So there are a lot of points here to take a look at that gap in the chart sticks out like a sore thumb and. I think it's just sort of longing to be filled. And there are a couple areas along the way. And people say, yeah, to your mind, it's never going to happen. Well, it's happened before. We've seen moves of this magnitude to the downside before in this stock. And who's to say it can't happen again? And when you see a day like today, where at one point, as you said, Dan, it was probably down $28 or so, maybe more than that, maybe over $30. You you can see how quickly things can go pear-shaped. Obviously, it recovered. Uh, we'll see how it closes today. But to your earlier point about the broader market, it made sense to me this morning that the market was getting throttled. I'm choosing that word. Yields were higher. We'll talk about that. But it's come roaring back, which, again, it's somewhat counterintuitive to what I thought would happen today, given everything that we just the last at least those two things that we talked about. Well, most importantly, the yields. I mean, like, well, that's so, it. Like, that's my point. Just before we leave NVIDIA here, let's pull up the day chart because this is pretty astounding when you think of like just the intraday volatility for a stock that gapped down 5%. This is one of the largest stocks in the entire stock market. If you just look at that sort of intraday, maybe they can do a two or three day here to just show kind of where it was. Look at that. So to, to have that sort of gap and then go in and attempt to fill in that gap. And so let's see where this stock closes, mm -hmm. which brings us to the SMH guy, the, the, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor index. And, and again, you know, our good friend uh, Tim Seymour on CNBC's Fast Money has been highlighting the relative new highs that we've seen um, in the semis of late. If you just look at the SMH, though, that, that's relative to the S&P 500. You know, listen, this thing is banging around. Um, it really hasn't made a new um, high. Well, you know, it's made a, a couple of attempts and it's made a series of lower highs. It really feels to me like it wants to kind of test that that support and that 200-day moving average. You just see the 200-day is much closer, uh, you know, there to the SMH than it is to the NVIDIA. But a lot of that has to do with the other large component, Taiwan Semiconductor, which was at one point in the last few weeks down more than 20% from its 52-week highs. Again, I'll ask Jacob or Steven to go longer term, and you will see if you can go back again to the Five similar years. time. You'll see a pretty classic double top formation in the SMH as well, and that's something that we've pointed out a number of times. And that doesn't get any clearer than that, Dan, in terms of you know levels and where we stop. Now, people will say, listen, technology, semi-specifically, it's a new oil, and you can't run too far from these, and I get it. I'm also going to tell you this, as we get into the fall, as we get into the winter and early next year, and you've brought this up, so I'm not, I'm not breaking any new news. I, I think you're really going to start to hear about the double and triple ordering that went on out of necessity, maybe, but it doesn't really matter the reasons why. I think that's going to have, as, as uh, Dennis Garman would say, a deleterious impact on these names and then subsequently the broader market as well. Yeah, this chart is also interesting because we brought it up on the fly. I mean, you could draw, you know, an uptrend from the lows last of course. year. And you yeah. see that we're contending with that. You could draw that uh, a horizontal line from the prior highs a year in you know, in 2021. And, and you see, you know, a pattern that is either a flag that's looking ready to explode 
or it's going to be testing, you know what I mean? The, the lower ends of that, that kind of, uh, uptrend channel. Um, and if you want to throw a 200 in there, we know it's below. And so, you know, you, you get it. I mean, like, listen, it's, it, we're getting very close to a kind of make or break sort of situation. I think for, for the year, for the market, that is guy, I mean, like just seasonally, and this is another one, I'll give Tim another shout out. I mean, he's been saying it on the desk on fast money for the last few days. And you know, I, I what I wasn't paying for uh, paying attention to guys, the closer we get to November and you and I know this is the, the least likelihood that things fall apart. You know, the, the, the lack of visibility, maybe that corporates have now with, with what's going on geopolitically, maybe that's something that maybe causes, you know, some consumer, we're going to talk about the consumer in a little bit, some consumer, you know, pullback or something like that. And I just don't know, you know, but um, yeah. Yeah. no, but I'll say I'll push back a little and say, and you're somewhat you're speaking to to a certain extent, you know, seasonality. And as we get yeah. again through November, things get quiet, holiday, all that stuff. I listen, I totally get it. Of course, there's so many things that have happened over the last year, but then specifically over the last few weeks. You're coming up to, you know, the middle of November. I think it's the 16th. Don't at me if I'm wrong, but this debt ceiling is going to come up again. I think, I don't know. I didn't see it. I don't know if this vote for the speaker went through. So you're still talking about a lot of things out there, sort of nebulous at best. And the market historically doesn't particularly like that. So we'll see how it shakes out. But the yield move to me, again, you know, we've, we've been harping on this. One would have thought, given what's transpired over the last couple of weeks, you know, you would have seen yields move down dramatically. And for a day and a half, two days, you did. I mean, I think we got down to what, about four, five, five or so in the 10 year ish. Yep. And now here we are right back above, excuse me, 480. So yields want to go higher here. I think I know what it means for equities right now, though. It's not really playing out that way, Dan. Well, all right. So so let, let's think about this for a second. So I'm looking at the two-year guy. It's at five to one. Okay. So if the two-year is closely tied to what essentially fed funds, right? We know that there's a Nov one meeting, right? And that's the second to last meeting that we're going to get this year. And it, it, is it because of, I guess, all the dovish talk that we heard after the terrorist attack in, in Israel? Um, you know, is, is that the reason why we have the CME Fed funds tracker, you know, pricing in less than a 10% chance of a 25 basis hook, uh, basis point hike? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's it. But, it, you know, again, we, we talked about some of these inflationary readings that we've been seeing, CPI, mm -hmm. PPI, the jobs report from September a week and a half ago. It just seems like, you know, the Fed, you know, your point has always been careful what you wish for a bit. It seems like that maybe some of that data is out of their control. And if they were to let too, too much of a pause or too much kind of dovish talk work its way in, then maybe you do start to see inflation actually pick up from here. I mean, I know it's picking up year over year and, and, and we know that some of those readings, you know, on, on a uh, sequential basis have come down pretty substantially, but now they, they, they seem to be picking up a little bit. Prices are going higher still. They're just going higher at a slower rate. And I'm not trying to be wonky here I'm not trying to be glib, but that's effectively what we're seeing. So don't confuse, and I'm not suggesting you are, but the lower readings with yeah. inflation is, is cascading lower. Prices are still going higher. And when you sort of do that on a cumulative basis, you know, people are hurting out there. And again, at a certain point, it's going to make its way into the equity market. By the way, you've seen it already in a lot of these consumer brands. I mean, we've talked about General Mills, Kellogg's, all these names that have just been getting throttled. And I think part of the reason, I mean, we can talk about this sort of the ancillary second derivative, third derivative reasons, but the first derivative is they can no longer pass on their cost to their customer and margins are starting to contract. And that is problematic.
in that vertical, but I think subsequently it's going to be problematic across a swath of verticals. Yeah, let's pull up the XLP, the ETF that tracks consumer staples. And this is one that, you know, was trading, what, $78 um, at the start of May or almost 78 bucks, and traded, you know, 68 uh, on a couple of occasions over the last week and a half or so. You see that sort of consolidation. You see the widening of those volatility bands. I think Pepsi is a large component. Pepsi reported, what, about a week ago or so. And, you know, the stock had a little bit of a bounce um, and then it came back in. Yeah. It, it was all over the place for, for a few days. It looks like this thing is trying to find a little bit of a bottom, but you can see the levels here. I mean, you know, that 66 to the downside guy, you don't want to be breaking that anytime soon. Because if you do, I think that what's going to be clearly embedded in that is like, okay, rates for longer. I get it. You know, these were stables and these were, you know, high dividend paying things. And with yields, this they're less attractive. And if pricing power is waning and all that sort of stuff, um, I get it. Okay. The flip side of this is that if the damage was done, you know what I'm saying? We took many turns from a valuation perspective off of many of these large names. You know what I mean? Like, so this is a battleground that I think is worth paying attention to. Does yeah, that make sense? Of course it does. And again, we're getting a little granular here, but pull up a pet is that a pep pull up a pepsi chart and go back to 2021 if you guys can and i want to sort of show you something and this is very carter braxton worth but since early 2021 when this stock was probably trading about 129 dollars or so you made a series of higher lows and higher highs that stopped in may of this year when i think we made an all-time high of about 196 and change since then you're basically starting to have a series of lower highs and lower lows. The level we're trading at, this 160 level, is absolutely sort of a line in the sand. And you go back and look at these lows that we bounced off of. So you can see it there as clear as day. And again, you're saying, guys, it's just Pepsi. It's not a big deal. I understand. It's not a big deal, right? In the, in the scheme of things, but this is a $220 billion company that hasn't been trading particularly well now for the better part of this year. And it's not just that. And the story they're telling, I think, or the story they told is, hey, inflation is great for us because we're just going to pass it on. Our margins going to improve. And that was the story basically from 2021 into earlier this year. That has now flipped. And when that flips, as you know, you can't just turn that right back on in terms of getting those margins back. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so like, here's let's let's like on the back of the yield thing. So late 2021, when the Fed said they're going to battle inflation by raising interest rates, the hardest hit things were unprofitable tech, you know, speculative crap like SPACs, mm -hmm. crypto, you know, all that sort of stuff started getting healed. And then we saw many tech stocks, but with high valuations, very profitable companies, uh, they started to correct in Q4 of 2021. But the major indices continue to make new highs, right? The Nasdaq did top out, I think, in early December of 2021. But it was the S&P that didn't really top out until the first week of 2022. Why am I bringing this up? Okay, well, you and I have mentioned this on many occasions. I think there's a lot of similarities right now in the market in Q4 of 2023 to what we saw in 2021. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, listen, what's different now is that Fed funds was below what? 50 basis points back then. And now it's, you know, five, 5.5, you know, percent or something like that. So we're closer, much, much closer to the end of these hikes. Now you talk about these long and variable lags and, you know, a lot of folks in, in the Fed like to speak in that sort of language. Um, I'm not saying that you like to speak like the Fed people, but you, what you and I've tried to talk about how, for whatever reason, the economy seems to be hanging in there, despite the pace of yeah. interest rates, despite inflationary readings. My view guy is that, you know what? 
if it weren't for these, you know, top 10 stocks in the NASDAQ, right? Like a, a lot of the devastation we're seeing under the hood and a whole host of different parts of the market. It could be banks, it could be retail, it could be staples. It was energy for a bit. It came back a little bit. It was um, utilities, it was industrial. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? So when I think about tech, let's go back to that NVIDIA chart, okay? So that's up 200 plus percent on the year, right? It's got over a trillion dollar market cap. We knew that did a lot of the heavy sort of lifting. If I look at Apple, Okay, Apple, we just saw some data about China and, and iPhone sales there. Not particularly great. I would say that their, their demand for their key product in a key region is kind of waning. Um, Tesla, we're going to get their earnings this week. They're likely to put up something close to a 17% automotive gross margin guy. Okay, down from 25% a year ago. So I have three companies where, you know, the, the first one, NVIDIA, maybe, maybe just maybe the fundamentals are great, but maybe the valuation's a bit out of whack for what you and I think could be coming. But Apple's, so you, Apple's not getting better. Tesla's not getting better. Amazon AWS growth was was about as low as it's been in, in 10 plus years, and it got bailed out because of um, retail, okay? Google is still in the sights of OpenAI and Microsoft and that sort of thing. So the jury's still out on there. I'm probably missing one of those other sort of seven. So all Facebook. I'm saying, yeah, so Facebook. If Facebook, let's just put it in its own little camp. They, they can do whatever it wants. Mm -hmm. Elon Musk has made made Mark Zuckerberg like, like a saint, which is amazing if you think about it, okay? So all I'm saying is this Magnificent Seven is not looking so magnificent to me anymore. And if there's any hiccups in the NVIDIA, I think it's taken the whole market down. I, I, I agree with the NVIDIA portion of that, and I'm right. They all, ex-Facebook, ex-Google, they all have their issues. And if you could pull that Tesla chart up real quick, yeah. and I know Jacob and or Steven can do this, but... Now you go back to early 2023. So that low that we made in, I guess, January. And there's a trend line if you connect that low yep. to sort of the May low, and then you could probably get even sort of the late August, um, September lows. That's your uptrend line. The downtrend line is from that high in July and those three points on the downside. So as they're drawing this, you can see exactly what I'm looking at. There's your uptrend line. Your downtrend line is from that high in July and then those three points. And here's your pennant formation. So you tell me, let the market be your guide. And that's just, you know, we didn't rehearse this, but you know, you do this long enough, you start to see things. But there's your pennant. And that pennant is happening into earnings this week. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I sort of think I know what's going to happen. But my point is something pretty major is going to happen with this formation. We get in tighter and tighter ranges into this pennant, earnings released, something's got to give. That's how I look at Tesla here. And I think, you know, there are a lot of charts that probably look similar, yeah. Dan. Well, I'll just say one thing, okay? And I think the number was 11%. Um, auto sales for Tesla in China in September were down 11%, okay? And then we saw, I think year over year, Apple sales of iPhones from 2022 from their 14 uh, device. I think there was some reports that they were down mid, you know, single digits or something like that year over year. We've talked about this. Apple and Tesla will be the two last battles fought with China. Why? Because they employ a lot of people making lots of, you know, of their devices or cars, whatever the hell you want to call them over there. Um, and those two CEOs have, have actually made it their purpose to cozy up with one of the most totalitarian regimes on the planet. I mean, like, that's just a fact. Okay. I still have an Apple iPhone. I have lots of Apple products. Okay. So I'm not speaking with my wallet. You can call me a hypocrite or this and that, or whatever. I certainly don't have a Tesla. never will. Um, but you know, 
those two companies, man, like they have a China problem. There's no doubt about it, because if this is about nationalism, which it really well could be, guy, you know, you talked about, I think a few weeks ago, you were saying the shadow banning, you know, of Apple devices by government, you know, agencies in China that has the potential to work through in other ways throughout. 100%. Yeah. So and I think uh, uh, real quick, I don't yeah. know if uh, maybe I've misread, but I think Tim Cook might be out there now. Yeah. So. He is. Which is a, which is really remarkable if you think about it. And it speaks. And again, maybe it was a planned trip for the last three years. I have no idea. But for me, the outside looking in, it sort of reeks of a bit of desperation. It'd be like, come on, Apple's not. Well, there's stuff going on without question. And China could absolutely listen, whatever it reeks of. I mean, if China really wants to wreak havoc on the markets here, the first pillar to fall is going to be Apple. So they pull that peg out and then the cascade effect happens. And quite frankly, if I were in charge over there, that's exactly what I would do. You always have to put yourself in the yeah. seat of your adversary and say, what would you do if you were in his or her seat? And that's exactly what I would do. Look at you, little Machiavelli sort of stuff. Well, no, there. but I mean, it may, listen, it makes sense, though, if you think yeah. about it. You, know, you totally. have to try to think how your adversary is going to think. No doubt. I mean, listen, the other point about Apple is that, like, the further they move to to kind of, you know, reshore manufacturing and the like. I mean, President Xi looks at this company and probably says, listen, you know, we have Xiaomi, we have Huawei. We, we, we don't all, need you. We have all these other things and, and you know, and we give you access to our emerging, you know, middle class of consumers, that sort of thing. So, you know, you you brilliantly dictated um, that Tesla pennant formation. Let's pull up the NAS futures here because this is where we're going with all this, okay? And so we, we know we're going to get and uh, Netflix tomorrow, we're going to have Carter Braxton Worth on the market call. We're going to uh, be charting Netflix and some other tech um, charts here. But let's look at the NASDAQ futures here. And you see that that series of lower highs, guy. Um, you can just draw that line pretty easily. Mm -hmm. You see that uptrend there. So the tension is building here. You see that 200-day moving average is down there below 14,000. I think it's like 13,900 or so. Right. So listen, I've taken a couple cracks um, uh, in the options market, guy, in the QQQ, in, in, in uh on the downside here, um, I've tried to roll that view out a little bit. I want to take a look at the futures now, and I'll tell you why. I want to use some stops here, and I want to use some sort of intelligent stops and in taking a crack at this one more time here that maybe, just maybe, we get a move back towards. And you you, you kind of detailed this really well yesterday. We're going to take a look, or last week, excuse me, on Tuesday um, in your futures trade looking at yields, okay? I want to do the same thing. I want to see how this thing acts as it gets closer towards that downtrend that we just showed you. But if I was putting this trade on right now in the NASDAQ 100 futures here, I'm looking, okay, to sell this here at about 15,280. I want to stop it at the high from October 12th, okay? That's 15,480. So that's about 200 points. And if you're looking at the minis, you guys can do the math on there. And, and you listen. You guys should go to the CME website. They have lots of calculators. They have lots of ways to kind of, um, you know, detail how much capital is at risk and what the leverage is and the like here. So that is my stop to the upside here because I feel like if it gets through that high guy, if it gets through that downtrend, then it's off to the races here. But what I want to do is kind of attempt to make a move that it's going to go back down towards that uptrend line that's been in place. And then ultimately, if it gets through there, then it makes a move back to its 200-day moving average. Now, we would need a whole host of things to happen, but we'll talk about that. So my initial target would be 14580 selling them at 15000 
280 and I'm stopping it at 15,480. What do you think of my levels? And maybe they could throw up the other chart here because that could kind of be illustrative of what I'm kind of trying yeah. to Yeah. Well, I mean, if you could, so put that one back real quick, the prior one, because you're looking like a three to one ish risk reward, I guess, sort of back of the envelope, maybe a little bit better than three to one, which is about where you want to be. The stop level is correct. It might seem tight, but it's the right level. The take profit level, I mean, that's the first leg lower up against that support. And theoretically, you can take off a portion of your position uh, and then let the rest ride. Or if you really want to be aggressive and it starts to cascade in a meaningful way, you can add to a short position and then obviously lower your stop significantly. We talk about trailing stops all the time. So I think in terms of the stop level, which is the first thing I look at, I think it's the correct level. And then the second thing I look at typically is, okay, what are you risking and what is your potential reward? So typically, I don't think you want to do anything worse than two to one in your favor. If it's one to one, you're just flipping coins. You know, two to one is sort of the minimum, but, you know, three, three and a half to one makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And if you're the sort of trader who likes to kind of get in there and take much smaller losses and kind of get the vibe for what's going on. I mean, like this stuff doesn't happen only in a vacuum. So like, like just if you're looking at how the markets transpired today if you had rushed out when you know on the opening and, and as the you know like the nasdaq was just red it was a sea of red and you thought that this this tesla or excuse me this nvidia story was really going to take the whole market lower right and you shorted that thing and, and you're like you had a stop up there at the uh, October 12th high. I mean, that's a long ways to go. And that's a long ways yeah. to be wrong too. So some of you, and, and, and I know like, you know, I like to trade this way. Sometimes they take a little, little short, little chops at things and see how things are acting and, and take a breath every once in a while if it feels wrong. Um, all right, let's, let's look back last week. Um, you were trading yields. Um, and again, you thought they'd go higher. It was a really nice call. Let, let's first like kind of walk through some of the stuff because I think, you know, there's a couple things going on here, guy, before we get to your trade from last week. Like in the journal today, there's two headlines. Maybe these guys can throw this up. And I thought this was really interesting. It's getting too expensive to have fun. Okay. They're talking about how live events and experiences have just gone, you know, like just, you know, parabolic in their pricing in the last, you know, year or so. And they gave lots of different examples from NFL football games to Taylor Swift concerts. The list goes on and on. And then the other side of this, and we've seen some retail data, is that the American consumer keeps splurging. So, mm -hmm. you know, we have, you know, credit card, you know, debt at, at you know, crazy highs. We have that at, at levels of, of uh, interest rate levels that we haven't seen in a very long time, right? But we also have a U.S. consumer that just continues to spend. And so there seems to be a lot of cross currents here, which is one of the main reasons, I guess, why we're still having this inflation debate. Consumer, again, you know, for new members, I've said many times that never underestimate the United States consumers want to spend. They will spend just about under any circumstances we can come up with unless something scares them. And what typically scares them, Dan, in my opinion only, is a move in the market. Again, not to suggest that everybody owns stocks. We know that's not the case. But people sort of look at the stock market as a gauge of, how things are going. I mean, the stock market's doing well up every day. Everybody seems to think, well, if the stock market's doing well, it must mean the economy's doing well. If the economy's doing well, why shouldn't I spend? I see what my neighbor's doing. I know what he or she makes. I'm commensurate with that. People get scared when, again, you know, the evening news leads with U.S. equity market down a percent and a half, two percent. You see that over the course of a couple of days. Then all of a sudden, everybody sort of looks up. It's like that scene in Jaws. You know, Barracuda is not a big deal, but you yell shark and everybody freaks out. And that's the same thing with the stock market. So 
I get all these headlines. They all make sense. But if we were to have a move lower in the stock market in a meaningful way, and we've seen this before, consumer spending in this country will stop on an absolute dime. Yeah. Well, our good friend, Peter Bookvar, Bleakley Advisors, he writes the book report uh, every morning. It's one of our first reads, but he had a great comment here on this morning. He was talking about how he's heard from many retailers and Peter, he literally like reads or listens, he reads many, many transcripts, earnings transcripts and, and, and listens to dozens and dozens of calls. But he said that retailers the last few months have been uh, saying how they've seen the consumer prioritizing its spend. The consumer is not spending as much on goods like furniture, building materials, electronics, clothing, um, and sporting goods, especially at a time where we've seen housing, you know, just go through the roof. And then we've seen uh, gas prices and some food prices kind of reaccelerate. So I think that's kind of interesting. But again, let's pull up the 10-year U.S. Uh, yield here. Last week, you thought rates were going higher for, for all of these sorts of reasons here. Um, and, you know, when you look at the 10-year Look at that thing. I mean, it's about to make new highs. I thought we'd see a retest guy of that breakout level from a, a few weeks ago. Uh, you think they keep marching higher. I wonder, though, when we have that 10-year, uh, if it gets to 5% or above that, is that going to be like the, the thing that maybe wakes up the equity markets? Because on a day where 10-year yields are up 12 bips and trading at a new cycle high here, mm -hmm. the fact that the stock market is kind of holding in here and, and basically the S&P is you know, up 15 basis points and the NASDAQ's down 15 basis points largely because of, uh, because of the NVIDIA, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You look at the inner, I mean, the NASDAQ, I think, rallied from low to high about 180 points, which is remarkable. If, I mean, it's it really is remarkable. So does it make sense to me? No, because given where yields are, that move lower should have continued. All right. So be that as it may. Your question was, you know, what level do rates start to sort of kick on everybody's radar screen and they matter? I Maybe it is as simple as 5%. Maybe it's that whole round number thing and people look up and Oh my God, 10-year yields are at 5%. I'll say this again, given what's transpired geopolitically, if there ever would be a reason for yields to go lower, it would have been on the back of that. And you saw it for about a day and a half, two days, when we got down to about four and a half, four, five, five, and we've snapped right back up. The bond market is telling you that the, the participants are demanding a higher yield to buyer. It's as simple as that. And the incremental buyer or, you know, the large buyers that have been around historically, the Bank of Japan, the Federal Reserve, some of these other players, they're not in the game right now. As a matter of fact, the Bank of Japan has their own problems. They're trying to defend their currency, and they're probably doing it by selling our treasury. So there's a lot of things to be concerned about, but it all manifests. It all takes place in the chart you're looking at right there. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So last week on October 10th, um, you wanted to sell the 10-year futures, okay? You, you sell the yields at 107.90. Your target was 106.10. Your stop to the upside was 108.45. So here we are. We have this thing, guy going in your direction here where do you want to move that stop to now yeah well look you move the, the original stop loss was like 108 and a half ish so obviously we've moved dramatically lower so you can do a couple things i mean you can move the stop down to your entry level and you're effectively you're in the trade for free in other words if you get stopped out no harm no foul you put it on at the same level you took it off i mean that's one way to look at it you obviously can move the stop lower than that and, and basically guarantee yourself some sort of profit on this trade. That makes sense as well. 
I mean, in my eye, I would put it somewhere around 107 and a half. So you sort of get the best of both worlds. Worst case, you make a little bit, um, but you're still sort of in the game. So let's just call it 107 and a half ish or so on the, on now it's on the upside. Number one, in terms of take profits. I think I said 106, 10 ish. Mm-hmm. I think we got pretty close. I still think we're going to see that level. Uh, and maybe you take off again, a quarter, third, half of your position. And if we're to get down, then maybe you drop the stop from 107 and a half, maybe down to 107. So this is a living, breathing thing. And when you're trading futures, that's exactly how you have to look at it, Dan. Yeah, no no doubt. Nice trade by you. And, and I like the way that you're managing this trade. Um, before we get out of here, we definitely want to get a, a couple of earnings, but I want to hit two other things in the CME uh, futures world. I want to look at copper for a second here. It was interesting. And, and you know, uh, it, it caught my eye, Guy, because Freeport McMoran was uh, was uh, initiated today at JP Morgan with a neutral rating, $42 price target. Stock's trading around 37 and a half. Stock's mm. really in, in sort nowhere. of nowhere. Yeah, it's kind of nowhere. But let's look at the copper for a second here, because this one is kind of interesting. Not trading particularly well. And give us your two cents on why copper is one of those things that a lot of folks, as they're trying to gauge the sentiment of the you know, markets and how perceiving the economy why why copper is important the old timers will say that um copper is the most economically sensitive commodity out there and i understand that crude oil is a commodity but you know people that do this for a living say you know crude is one thing copper though really tells the tale of the economy and the aggregate so to the extent that they call it dr copper you know back in the day and when it doesn't trade particularly well Effectively, what it's telling you is the economies globally are starting to ratchet down. You can't pinpoint one economy necessarily, but this is a global commodity. And when it starts moving again, upper left, lower right, it's telling a story. And this chart speaks to effectively the weakness we've seen this entire year with a couple ticks to the upside. I mean, each one of those ticks to the upside, you probably can explain in some sort of event. But in the aggregate, this has been going lower. And it makes sense because, quite frankly, that's the same trajectory as global economies. Yeah. The one thing I'd say is like, look at that June low that it's contending with. We could have drawn a, a little bit of a support line there going back one year. It, it seems to be testing it. And then if we just want to back this thing out, we have a five-year chart. Guy, look at this thing. I mean, that uptrend that's been in place from, you know, the kind of early 2020 COVID low is being breached, right? Mm-hmm. And you see that kind of well-defined and we kind of highlighted that through that trend channel um, over the last kind of year or so. I mean, it's breaking down. So I, like, again, we're not trying to place too much emphasis on this sort of thing. Use the, the kind of term old timers, that sort of thing. Maybe it's a little outdated, but um, technically copper does not look good. And it caught our radar because we saw initiation. No, but you know, and, I'm, and listen, I know we got to get out of here. I think you're right to bring it up now. If it's if what I just said is true, if copper again is as economically sensitive as I say it is, then yields should be going down, not up, right? Because yields theoretically going higher are a gauge of economic strength, not weakness. So if I just told you that economic weakness is out there, there are another reason that yields are going higher. And yields are going higher in the face of what we just talked about, which I think is somewhat concerning. Yeah. All right. And then if let's look at your gold here, because this is at a level guy, this is at its 200 day moving average. It's also at that downtrend that's been in place from, mm-hmm. you know, the last time it was above uh, 2000, that was kind of uh, May, April ish timeframe. This is, this is like a moment of truth. Would you say, uh, would you agree with that? 
100%. This downtrend's in place. If we were to go longer term, if Jacob can pull up a chart and you can go back to, I think, a few Augusts ago when we traded up and failed. And then this recent high we saw in the spring, we failed at. I mean, the tops are outlined there for you. So I do agree with you. This downtrend is pretty critical. It happens to coincide with the moving average as well. I think everybody here knows what I think. You know, I think we're going meaningfully higher. And I think what's going to wind up happening, thank you, Jacob, is when we get through those highs, and you can see all three of them, that's when the systems are going to kick in. That's when the institutions and the hedge funds and this larger pools of money are all going to try to flood the way into the gold market because that's what their systems tell them to do. And the reality of the situation is the gold market cannot take the amount of dollars I think are going to try to make their way in. So I think the fun is just starting. Other people say you're out of your mind. You have tinfoil on your head. And I still don't really understand what that means. You do not. All right. Last thing, Bank America, we've been talking about it a lot over the last few weeks, the underperformance relative to many of the other money center banks and basically some of the issues that they might have in their kind of um, held to maturity, mark to market, you know, treasury portfolios here. This is interesting, guy. Okay. So, you know, I mean, this thing fell off the, the bottom right of this chart a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, we thought at the time, not a great press on the short side um sentiment was really bad technically if you just look at this thing you know that the, the results you know weren't as bad as expected and in some places they were probably um okay here 28 kind of a big level if you look at how the stock acted in many of the banks out of q2 earnings they did have a nice run. They broke out of these consolidations that, you know, they were really banging along those kind of regional banking crisis lows from March and April. And they had a big run, uh, got to some levels and then they broke down and, and broke down in a meaningful way. Let's, let's look at the five-year Bank America for a second here too, guy, because it goes all the way back. If you look at where the stock just found a little bit of support, that's mm -hmm. the November, 2020 gap that happened with the vaccines, the election and the like here, um, kind of at a level. The unrealized losses on their balance sheets with yields continuing to go higher are only going to continue to grow. Now, people will say they're unrealized losses. They're going to let this roll off. Okay, that's fine. You want to play that game? They're going to hold it to maturity. HTM, hold to maturity. That's fine. But then think about this. There's an opportunity cost associated with that. They've put on their position. Their position sucks, and it sucks more each day with rates going higher. So those, in my opinion, those unrealized losses will continue to grow. Again, people will say it doesn't matter because they won't realize, hold them. Fair enough. Flip side of that coin is that's the opportunity cost that they're not going to be able to get back. So it, it makes sense that this stock sucks. Yes, you got to bounce today, whatever. It's not that all that impressive to me. And I think we still go lower in Bank of America. All right. Last thing. Um, so our friends over at CME Group, it starts on Friday. This is something that you, Danny Moses and myself are going to be participating in. Look at this. The epic equity futures trading uh, challenge. This is going to be fun. We did it with the um, bond futures. We mm -hmm. did not. None of us did particularly well. We're going to do a lot better um, in this one. So we're going to be there. We want all of our like loyal viewers of the market call to get in there and trade the heck out of the equity futures. And this is all paper trading people. And it gives you um, access to all the tools on the CME uh, on their website. And, and, and it's really meant to be an educational sort of experience, but encouraging 
our fine viewers and listeners to go up and sign up. We're going to do a giveaway. Last time, and, and many, many, many of you participated in our giveaway for the Risk Reversal Market Call water bottles. This time, we're going to do a hat. I don't know if this is the final hat guy. I think this is a mock-up of a hat that we're going to send out. But go sign up for this challenge. Screenshot your sign up. Send it to contact at riskversal.com. You know who to bug. That would be Amanda. Blow up uh, Amanda's inbox. Blow, blow it up. Send her a screenshot, um, and then we will be sending you a risk reversal market call hat. And we appreciate you guys participating. I think hundreds of our folks um, signed up last time, so get all up in there. They had thousands and thousands of people um, participating in that, and it was a lot of fun. It's free education. It allows you to sort of test drive things without having to sort of put your own dollars at risk, and it gives you a real experience in how you trade futures and how you trade these different instruments. I think it's great. We're giving away hats because I think there are going to be a lot of uh, carryover people and they don't want another water bottle. So you can get a water bottle and a hat for you folks who are going to do it um, instead of futures with bonds, do it in the equities. Hopefully there's some new folks as well. Yeah, and you guys can find the registration link. I think it's going to be in the show notes and it's going to be um, in, the, in the YouTube and it starts on October 22nd. That's when the challenge starts. So go in there, register, get yourself a hat. You know, wear it with pride. Guy, you don't wear too many hats, do you, on that no. fine head of hair of yours? No, you don't. And you definitely don't wear truckers. Guy, had, he doesn't care what's on the hat. He just doesn't want it to be a trucker hat. That was the instructions that that the team got. Well, I don't even know what that means. You know, it's the mesh hat in the back. It's oh, I hate like, the mesh. Oh, no, that's I don't understand that. That's <laughs> no, I'm sort of old school. Trucker hat. Yeah, I, I don't buy the hats with the adjustable backs. I mean, I don't, I'm sure that's what these are. What's I'm your sure hat? they're lovely. Like eight, eight, eight and three quarters? What I, are think you? I, I think I'm seven and five sixteenths or seven and three eighths. I'm five not eighties. sure. What, what would yeah. that be? Four, three, seven, five? Listen, you got to know Four, these three, things. Seven, three eighths is three set. Yeah. I nailed it. So back in the day, this is a little thing. So when I started the market, when guy, when you started, they were probably just trading in dollar 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 no, this is listen see this this yeah. is how we used to figure people, things out i know but when i started trading okay in 1997 it was in in uh i want to say quarters ace and quarters maybe but yeah ace and quarters and then they went to fifth they went to the teenies they called them right 15 16th which would be 0.9375 wouldn't that be wouldn't that be correct? correct so we had to learn all that stuff on the 10 but then they just went to decimals which was a lot better well <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. It really depends on what side of the business you're in. And that's another one of these. Be careful what you wish for. But that's for another day, Dan Nathan. All right, we covered a lot of ground here. Thanks, guy. I enjoyed it, folks. Thanks for spending your time with us. We'll be back tomorrow. I think the great Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting will be joining. So thanks, everyone. Sign up for the CME Challenge. Talk to you later. See you.